Hi guys, good morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and crack them open. We're going to be continuing through the rest of our, uh, our study through the parables of, of Jesus as Josh is away on his sabbatical. We're going to be doing this for a few months. If you're new here, we've just been going through one parable at a time every Sunday, uh, looking at specific teachings of, of our Lord Jesus. And this morning, um, possibly the most famous parable of all, we're going to be looking at the parable of the prodigal son. And so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 11, the parable of the prodigal son begins. And so follow along with me, Luke chapter 15, the text is also behind me, uh, you want to follow along there if you, if you so choose. I'm going to start reading in verse 11, and Jesus said, a man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between the two of them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and he went on a long journey into a distant country where he squandered his estate, living recklessly. And now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he was sent into the field to feed the pigs And he was desiring to be fed with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one was giving him anything. But then he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but here I am, dying with hunger? I will rise up, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me as one of your hired men." And so he rose up and he came to his father, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his his hand and put sandals on his feet and bring out the fattened calf and slaughter it and let us eat and let us celebrate together. For the son of mine was dead and he has come to life. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. But the older brother... He was out in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and summoning one of the servants, he began inquiring what these things could be. And the servant said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother, he became angry. And not wanting to go in, his father came out and began pleading with him. But the older brother said to the father, look, for so many years I have been serving you, And never have I neglected a command of yours. And yet never have you given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you have killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said, child, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he has been found. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. And as every, every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, Lord, I'm just, it's, it's impressed upon me, my inability to communicate anything here except what is actually written in the page. And so I pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might convict and comfort those who need conviction and comforting, that you might illuminate to someone's mind and to their heart who is Jesus? What is he like? 
Father, what are you like? Who are you? Make people alive this morning, Father. I cannot do it. We need you. We need your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So the greater context of this, of this, uh, of this parable is that Jesus is in is in a bit of hot water. He's, he's a little bit in trouble. And Jesus got in trouble a lot. There was often people that were upset with him for one reason or another. Typically, it was the religious elite that had some sort of beef with him that they had to get worked out. Uh, and this is, this is no different. This is a parable that Jesus is giving in response to uh, some tension that he has with the religious elite of the day. And the, and the trouble that he's in specifically here is that the religious leaders of the time are mad at Jesus because of the people that Jesus chooses to affiliate with. And not only does Jesus affiliate with them and, and let them come around him, he actually engages them. He, he listens to them. He shows kindness to them and even has like intimate communion with them. And we, we get this from the very beginning of chapter 15 up at the top. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners, so these are the these are guys like, like me, guys, like, guys that I grew up with, the, the guys with, a, with a, a half-smoked cigarette behind their ear and a bottle of bourbon in their pocket and prostitutes, tax collectors, gamblers, thieves, gangbangers, the, the, the part of society that a lot of people try to pretend isn't there, tax collectors and sinners. They come around Jesus, and notice it says in verse 1, they came around Jesus because they, they wanted to listen to him. In verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the elite, the professionals, the ones that look good on the outside, they've got the nice haircuts, the nice duds, they've got fly kicks, they're professionals, they're people that you would look at and automatically just assume that they're doing very well with their lives. And I say that as somebody who comes from, you know, the half-smoked cigarette and the bourbon and, you know, I know the kind of guys that are being described here, the, the professionals, the elite types, the, the types with pedigree and with resumes. These guys came around and they were upset. They were grumbling, it says, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. He eats with them. That's a, that's a very intimate thing to do. To share a table with somebody was, nowadays, it's kind of a throwaway thing. It's no big deal. But in that time, to share a meal with somebody, to break bread with somebody was a sign of friendship, of intimacy. I'm welcoming you into my space. And these religious elite are, are upset because of the kinds of people that Jesus hangs out with, the kind of people that he shows kindness to, the kinds of people that he's loving towards. The religious elite are upset with this. And so Jesus begins to tell them some, some parables. And the one that we read this morning is the third of, of three that he immediately responds with in, in chapter 15. And the first is the parable of the lost sheep. And it's a parable of, we looked at it last week, the parable of the lost sheep one of a hundred sheep goes away. One percent of this guy's sheep goes away. And Jesus teaching this says, who of you would not actually go and get that sheep? You know you would do it. You would go get that. That one percent of your sheep, you would go and get it back. A man went and got his sheep and he rejoiced. In verse seven, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need Repentance. And then he goes on to tell the parable of the lost coin. A, a woman loses one of her 10 coins. It's 10% of her income, 10% of her, her money. She loses it and she goes frantically searching for it. And upon finding it, she rejoices. She calls her neighbors and her friends in and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my coin. Verse 10 In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one, there is more joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You have a lost sheep, you have a lost coin, and now we're talking about kids. Jesus goes straight for the jugular. 
your own children. And he, he also paints a picture, as we'll, as we'll go through bit by bit over the next half an hour or so, that Jesus paints a picture that is downright awful. He's like, you, you don't like the riffraff. You don't like, you don't like the tax collectors and the sinners, huh? Well, let me tell you a story. You think that these people are, are what? That they're, that they're detestable? Well, let me tell you about someone that you're going to find detestable. And he tells, he tells a story about forgiveness. He tells a story about repentance. A man had two sons. And the younger of the two said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, we know how an inheritance works even today. But what we might miss in today's culture is that in, in the culture that Jesus is speaking to, the, 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 the upper crust of society that are listening in on Jesus' story already have a problem with what Jesus is saying here. They're already upset by it. Because this is, and, and this does translate into our culture today. This kid is saying, you're in the way of my money. I want you gone. I want my money. I'm not going to kill you, but I kind of just want you dead. I want you out of the way. Give me my money. An absolute slap in the face. Inheritance comes after dad dies. And this kid's saying, I'm not waiting for you to die. I want you gone. I want to split. I want my money. Give it to me. And the Pharisees listening to this are like, that boy is getting a black eye. He's not getting an inheritance. He's going to get backhanded in the face. You're going to just come up to your father and be like, give me my money. I want out. No. Right out, right out the gate, Jesus is painting a picture of a guy that these Pharisees and, and, and scribes are not okay with. And he goes on from there more and more and more. And you know, it's not like whenever you get an inheritance, you don't just get a bag of money. You, you, get, you get property, you get houses, you get, you get animals. All of that has to be liquidated. And Deuteronomy 21, 17 says that the older son gets two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son gets a third. And so this kid comes to his dad and he says, I want out, get out of my face, liquidate a third of the property, and give me the money. That's what I want. I mean, this would have been a big upheaval. It would have been a lot of work. And the Pharisees might be thinking to themselves, like, all right, well, what's going to happen next? Is this father going to backhand his kid? Is he going to bury him in a short grave, in a shallow grave out back? What's he going to do? Is he going to disown him from the house? But the father grants him his wish. He divided the wealth between them. And so the kid takes the money. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and he went off on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with reckless living. And that that language there, he journeyed on into a distant country. That's a very, that's, Jesus is saying that on purpose because in the Israelite culture, they, the way that their history went down, anyone who's read the New Testament knows that there's a big emphasis on the promised land, getting out of the wilderness and making it to our promised place, our promised land, the place where we are going to gather, the place where we're going to be blessed, the land flowing with milk and honey. We don't go out there. This doesn't translate to today. As soon as a kid graduates high school, they've got a plane ticket and they're gone. Whether it's college or something else, they're excited to see other parts of the world. In this culture, in this time, in this place, it was all about staying home, getting married, having kids. A house would be built on a side of mom and dad's house and grandparents and great-grandparents, they'd all live together. This kid is taking his father's money. He's basically slapping him in the face saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't want to have anything to do with our lineage, with our family, with our future. I want out. Give me my money. I'm gone. And he went away into a far, a, play, a far away land 
which, in, which does speak to the culture of the time, but I also think that what we can relate to today is that how many of us can relate to wanting to go someplace where nobody else can see what we're doing. Maybe not everybody can relate to that. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But right now in the story, that's, that's where I'm at. I wanted to get out of mom and dad's house. I wanted to get out of the church. I wanted to get away from my Christian school because there's things that I wanted to do. I didn't want any rules. I didn't want any leaders. I wanted to just revel in whatever sort of lust that I had in my mind and not have anyone counter that. I didn't want anyone to tell me anything else. I didn't want any, any wisdom or logic. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, and that's exactly what this guy's doing. I read the story of the prodigal of the lost son and I think, wow, there I, there I am. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you can relate to this too. Leave me alone, I wanna do what I wanna do. I'm going away into the Gentile territory, dad. The land of your enemies. Sorry, bye, and I'm doing it on your dime. So he goes away into a dis- distant country and squandered his estate with reckless living. In verse 14, Life happens. Now, after he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. I love that, man. (laughs) This is just another, (laughs) I know that there's guys in this church, we're friends, we hang out on Saturdays and Sundays. Some of you have just gone, and you've chased it, and you've smoked it to the filter, and you've just been left alone, broke, drunk, staggering in the street with one shoe on, you know? Isn't that life? And maybe you're pursuing the money and the cars and the more like older brother mentality or maybe you're doing it like I did and you're just recklessly spending like the prodigal son did. And it just goes away so quickly. This, everything that's promised in this life just so quickly. I love this picture because it doesn't matter what you pursue. When you're chasing the lust of the flesh, you can do that. I mean, go ahead. I mean, you're going to get yourself maybe 10, 20, 30 years into that, and then you're just going to be a sad drunk if you survive at all. The world has nothing for you. The world has nothing. It can keep you numb and stoned until you die. And maybe that being stoned is through the high of making money and becoming successful and building an empire, or maybe it's just pursuing some sort of substance that keeps you entertained until you die. We've all seen it time and time and time again. And in Portland here, we see plenty of both, don't we? This kid took his father's money. He, disrespe- he, 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 he disrespected his father. He dishonored him. He ran out into Gentile territory. Completely, I mean, the, the people of the town, I mean, if you do this as a, in that culture, you're done for. They actually would have held, if this was a real story, that sort, of, that sort of circumstance actually transpires, that kid is dead to the family. It's said in the pages of history that if something like this happened, the family actually would hold a funeral service for a kid like this because he's never coming back. No matter how long he lives, he's not, he's not coming back, even if he wants to. He's dead to us. And he went off into, to go pursue his lust, and he ended up empty-handed. And then life just happened. Something unpredictable, something that he had no control over. He fell prey to a famine. But he squandered all of his wealth. He'd come into town with a fat stack and a fedora and a nice, and a, and a nice cigar, and he was at all the clubs. He was drinking top-shelf liquor. He was buying people drinks, and now he's got nothing, and life has kicked him right in the teeth. There's a famine He's broke. He began to become impoverished. And the the Pharisees are listening to this story thinking, serves that kid right. What a punk. 
But it gets even worse because then he went and he hired himself, verse 15. He hired, himself, he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he was sent into the fields to feed the pigs. And the Pharisees at this point are crumpling their robes. They're like, Leviticus 11, pigs are gross. You don't work with pigs. Not only are you gonna, you're going to take your dad's money, you're going to spit in his face, you're going to leave the country, you're going to go out into Gentile territory, and then you're going to end up working for this guy. It didn't even, work, it didn't even pay off. Give me my money. Everything that he gathered, it said that he gathered everything together and now it's all scattered and he's broke and he's working for one of these people who in the Pharisee's mind was a bad dude just because he was a Gentile because there was racism alive and well in that day and age. What kind of Jesus, what kind of story is Jesus telling here? These guys are upset that he eats with sinners and Jesus is telling the story of the worst of all sinners. You betrayed your family. You went out on your own. You committed mutiny against your own father. And then you're working for the Gentiles. You're, you're working in a pig pen. The Jewish people weren't allowed to have anything to do with pigs. Jesus is very specifically putting this detail in there. What's wrong with this kid? This is gross. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be offensive. The people that are listening to this story are supposed to be bothered by this. He was working with the pigs, and then, verse 16, he was desiring to be fed with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one was giving anything to him. The word, this word desiring in verse 16, it's a very specific and interesting word, and it's a word that always ca captures my Attention, because when I've, the, one of the very first conversations that I had with a pastor about becoming a preacher myself, I was, I, you know, I didn't have any job offers on the table, but I just thought, you know, it seems like I'm heading in this direction. I'm going to pump the brakes and think about it. What, what, like, what should I do? And this pastor that I was speaking to said, well, one of the things that is, is required in First in Timothy, one of the things that is needed as a, as a, qualification of being in the pulpit is that you've got to really want to do it. First Timothy 3.1 says that those who aspire for the position of overseer desire a good thing. And this pastor said to me, he said that word desire is really interesting because it's the word epithumia. It's the same word that's used here. He was desiring to, be, to eat the pig food. And this pastor told me the reason why epithumia is such an interesting word is because it's commonly in scripture, actually it's used, it's, it's used as a pejorative. It's to want something so bad that you're borderline, idol, you're idolizing it. You're like, you're, you're, it's lust is what it is. That's what it means. It could be translated as lust, which is a negative connotation. Lust is not, is not, uh, is not used to describe something that is good. It's wanting something inappropriately. And, and Paul in First Timothy uses that very specifically. He's like, you gotta really want it. You gotta want it so much that it's like, you're, <laughs> like you almost want it too much. That's how much this guy wanted to eat the pig food. He was epithumia. He was desiring to eat pig food. And these, these listeners are just getting more and more disgusted with this guy. And I am somebody who people have been utterly disgusted with. And the only reason why I say that is because maybe someone is in here this morning and you feel that way. Can I tell you the, can I tell you the truth? There are still people to this very day, people that have gone to Door of Hope for years, that they never say it because they're nice Christians, but they are, they're bothered by the fact that I'm a pastor now. They don't like it. And the most that anyone's ever said to my face is, is 
one of my, one of my friends for years, he's like, he said, when I, when I heard that you were a pastor at Door of Hope, I, I, I thought, oh, cool, but boy, I just, I just know too much about you. And I was like, well, fair enough. That was years ago, but fair enough. And so I'm that guy. I'm this kid. And if, you're, if, you're, if you feel like you're one of these people, listen, the story is, is progressing, but Jesus Christ is after you. He loves you. The reason why Jesus is going so low with this imagery, with this prodigal son, is because, A, there's no level that you can go. There's no low that you can go that Jesus is going to forget about you. There's no low that you can go. There's no level of depravity or self-degradation or addiction or anything else that you can go into. Mutiny, maybe you've ripped your parents, whatever it is. And you're carrying that guilt and you think, I can't go to Jesus because I'm too gross. Jesus came to seek and to save those that are sinners. He said those that are, that are sick, those are the ones that need a doctor. I'm willing to admit that I'm sick. And Jesus changed my life and that's why I'm here now. And the friends of mine that can't get with that, it's none of my business. Jesus is painting this picture grotesquely on purpose. He's making these Pharisees uncomfortable on purpose. This guy wanted to eat pig food. And to a good upstanding Jew of that day, you couldn't get any lower than that. In verse 17, something that is just absolutely beautiful and mysterious, all of a sudden it says, but then he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but here I am dying with hunger. He came to himself. This is what my prayer is as a preacher. This is what my prayer is even if I'm not a preacher. If I, if I quit or get fired tomorrow, I'm gonna start a Bible study in, in my living room and this is what my prayer is, is that people would come to themselves. This is, this is the beautiful mystery of, of God's work. Josh Wilder, who was up here last week, if you saw him, he's, he's, if I had to name somebody, even without a microphone in my face, I would, he's, he's my best friend. I've known him for years. We've lived together for a long, long time until we got married and, and moved away from each other. But we lived together for years, and I love that guy so much. And a, a friend of mine, I don't know if she's here today, her name's Annalise, she, uh, she brought two of her friends to talk ab- about the Bible to talk about Jesus. And so I immediately called Josh. I was like, bro, let's do this apologetics thing. We're going to talk about the, the logical arguments of Scripture. And so we had this conversation. It was a great conversation with these two guys who do not believe in Jesus as their Lord and King. And they had a lot of questions about it. And I, and I got down to the brass tacks. I was like, guys, look, here's the thing is that you can, I, I, I'm happy to talk information with you. I can, I'll talk to you all day long about the, the, the historicity of the Bible and how it's dependable for all these different reasons. And we can talk about science and we can talk about how the earth is on its tilt and how all of these things mathematically, the, the likelihood that that would work, and that there's got to be a creator who designed this. We can talk about that. But if, if I give you all the information that there is to possibly give you, and, it, and if that's all I have, I am no better off than the devil. Because the devil knows everything. The devil was there. The devil knows his Bible better than any one of us do. I said, there's, there's got to be a point where you see the information, you see Jesus written on the page, and it, all of a sudden, you, you get it. And I can't make that, I can't make that happen for you. 
we can ask and we can seek and we can knock, we can go to prayer. And if you're here this morning and you're listening to this and you're like, I don't care, it's information, fine, fair, but don't, don't tune out yet. Listen to what I'm saying. At least hear me out. And then go home and think about it. Because this is where the, the pastor has to kind of take his hands off the wheel and go, I, I don't have any control over this. And it's the most frustrating thing as a pastor is to tell people the gospel and have them go, yeah, I just don't care. Okay, okay, you know, I mean, maybe tomorrow you will. This young man came to himself. One of my, one of my favorite verses that conveys this idea and shows the, shows the pursuit of our Lord is in Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. That means that we are, we are away from the family of God. We are cut off because we have sinned. We have fallen out of the family. We are dead to righteousness, dead to, perfect, dead to the, the affections of our Lord. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. Verse two, dead to your transgressions or sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, that is the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once formerly walked in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. We're dead. We have sinned against a righteous and just God, and that sin has to be punished, and God is too perfect to dwell with unrighteousness, and we are unrighteous. But he is so loving and he is so merciful and he is so patient and he cares for us so much that, John three sixteen he sent his son to live a perfect life and to take that punishment that we deserve. And to give us in place of punishment, righteousness, whenever we put our faith and our trust in him and as our Lord, as our King, as our Savior. But God, not us, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. He loved us so much he came after us. He loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions and he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. Do you, do you want that? Or is it just two-dimensional information? It's a fair question. And the reason why I bring it up now emphatically is because I sat in church pews for years and years and no one ever asked me that question. Jesus was just a bunch of information, like math. I don't like math. I get it. I can add and subtract and multiply. But you take mathematical equations and you, and you, you use them to build a pushrod V-twin motorcycle engine and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah. What's the fractions? What's the dimensions? What's the ratio to fuel and to air? And how do you figure that out? I'm interested in it. And that's what I told these, that's what I told these guys, Annalise's friends. I was like, guys, you can have the information, but when is it, it has to click and you have to go, this is Jesus. He's alive. He's my savior. What is he like? Tell me more. Well, the story goes on. He comes after us. He loves, I mean, you can get already, he loves sinners. If you're a sinner, you're his type. You're the kind of person that he came to save. And so this young man, he comes to himself. In verse 18, he says, I will rise up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me as one of your hired men. He 
He knew what he needed to do. He came to himself and he realized that he needed to repent. And he says, I will, I will rise up and I will go to my father. He says, I am not worthy to be called your son anymore. And this is the truth of all humans is that we are not worthy, saved or unsaved, Christian or non-Christian. None of us are worthy to be called sons of God. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Apart from the, the covering of Jesus Christ, we are in our sins. And God is perfect and he cannot dwell, he cannot dwell with that. It's why Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. They weren't qualified for it anymore. And that's bad news. It's scary news. It's sad news. And it's very true. But God did not stop there. The Father did not stop there. He sent his son so that a perfect righteousness would be available to us. A righteousness made available through his life, his death, his resurrection, freely offered to whosoever would believe. People say that's narrow because it's one way. Okay, guilty as charged, but it's available to whosoever. He is available to whosoever. No one's worthy. We don't earn it. We don't make it happen on our own merit or, or our, on our own effort. And thank God, because that's a weight of responsibility that, we, that would kill us. It would crush us. We can never make that. We, we cannot be good enough. God is far too holy for us. We need Jesus, because in him, it is finished. He did it already for us, and that's good news. And the son starts to develop that. He's like, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He's just going to earn it. I'll just earn my way back into the family, which is exactly what would have, ha that's what would have happened if this was a true story. If, if the son came back, maybe he would have been welcomed back. Maybe he would have been let back into town, but he wouldn't have necessarily been welcomed. He would have been mocked. He would have been, he would have been, he would have been jeered at. He would have been spit upon. He would have been that, that mutinous, ungrateful son who ran off into another country. And look what happened. Look what happened to you. <laughs> you deserve that. Now go feed the pigs. Well, they didn't have pigs. Go feed the donkeys. And maybe if he, maybe if he was there long enough, maybe the father would let him come work for him as a hired hand. And maybe after years of working for his father, once that debt had been paid off, then maybe the father would have welcomed him back into the family, but it's not likely. And this kid knows that. He, he knows that he's going back to town and he's going to be mocked. He's going to be beat up and made fun of for probably the rest of his life. And that's why, he's, that's why he says to himself, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to be a hired hand. It's the, it's the best possible outcome is just being a hired hand. And maybe some of you here today are thinking the same thing. I'm dirty, I'm unclean, I've blown it far too much, and if there is any coming to God at all, then I better start buttoning myself up and looking the part. We'll keep listening to the story. So he rose up. He thought in his mind, here's what I'm gonna go do, and then he went and did it. He was repentant in his heart, and he went to the Father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And at this point, maybe the Pharisees start throwing dirt in there. They're like, there's no way. This kid deserves to be beaten like an animal. This, this, this kid doesn't, shouldn't even be back in town. But the father, notice while he's still a long ways off, which means the father was looking for him. He was keeping an eye out on the horizon. And he doesn't even let the son come into town. He goes out of town and chases him. He goes for the kid. 
He goes after him. And this is how much God loves you. As anxious as we are to sin and to rebel and to gather and hoard whatever it is that we, that we want and to sneak off into dark corners and, and do whatever substances it is that we want to do, whatever it is that we want to hide, whatever it is that we don't want other people to be aware of because we're ashamed of it even though we enjoy it, the Father runs to him. Because as much as we want to sin and as much as we do love to sin, the Father loves even more to forgive. He doesn't even give the boy a chance to make it to town let alone beating him when he got there. He, he left the town, taking shame upon himself because it says that he ran, and dignified men in those days did not run. He would have pulled up his little robe and he would have ran, embarrassing himself for the sake of his child. And I love, I love this. He sees him, he runs after him, he feels compassion for him, he embraces him, and he kisses him. And this word is kataphileo. It means to kiss again and again and again and again and again and again. He kisses him. It's, it's, it's the definition is he kisses much. <laughs> Repeatedly. Kissing. Father, I have blown it. He kisses him. I'm unworthy to be called your son. He kisses him. He kisses him again and again and again. And notice that he kisses him before the kid even has an opportunity to open his mouth. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. But he was getting kisses in verse 20. He had this speech prepared and the father messed up his plans because the father's grace and compassion and love for his son is greater than the son could have ever hoped or dreamt. And that's true for you. Jesus is describing himself. He's describing the Father. Is there a God? You might have asked yourself for years now. Yes, there is a God. I'm here to say that there is a God. Well, if there's a God, what is he like? He's like this. This is what he's like. He loves to forgive more than we love to sin. Do you feel that yet? If you're feeling it today, don't fight. Don't fight it because that it is a he. It's God the Spirit convicting you that this is the God of the universe who has his eye on you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. How low have you gone in your life? It doesn't matter. He will come out of the house. He will chase you down and he will smother you with kisses. Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Get the ring, put it on his hand, get some sandals and put it on his feet. Notice in verse 21 that the son left out part of what he practiced in verse 19. Make me as one of your hired men. That's what he thought he was going to have to say. And maybe that's what you think you'll have to say. That's what, I, that's what I think I have to say. I'll earn it. I'll not do a whole bunch of sins and I'll start doing a whole bunch of good stuff because I've got to earn this grace. It's too good. And the father doesn't even let the, doesn't let the boy say that. He smothers him with kisses and the kid leaves that, part of the, he leaves that part of the confession out. Make me one of your hired men. Without saying that, the father says, go get the robe, get the ring, Get the sandals. Clothe the kid. He showed up in his garb. He showed up in his rags that he was wearing in the pigsty. And the father says, this is my boy. Take these things off of him and dress him as a member of the family because that is exactly what he is. 
and do it quickly. I love that. Do it quickly. That's how fast it, ha- it happens quickly. Spurgeon famously describing his own conversion moment said that all he did, he was sitting in a little, in a little church where the, during a snowstorm and the pastor that day wasn't even able to make it to the church because of the blizzard outside and so one of the congregation got up and it was a room, I think he said of six or eight people and the guy that got up in the pulpit just said again and again and again, look up to Jesus, look up to Jesus, look up to Jesus and Spurgeon, 17, 18 years old, said that he looked up out of faith. He looked up, not mechanically, not like, okay, somebody's telling me to do this, I'm gonna look up. He looked up because he really believed in Jesus in that moment. And it changed his entire life. Jesus met him, and that's all it takes. It happens quickly. I made my profession of faith in the pouring down rain on like a, it was a Monday morning at like 7 a.m., December. It was dark, it was cold, I was in the rain, face down on my parents' driveway. Friends, it happens quickly, it can happen anywhere. The father says, quickly, dress him up, clean him up, get him the duds, get him the kicks. My boy is home. Verse 23, and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let us eat and celebrate. The fattened calf, I mean, prime rib, the best of the best. This is tri-tip here. This guy is, has saved the best for his boy. The fattened calf, he says, do it and let us eat. And I love that because Jesus is brilliant. Remember in verse 2 of chapter 15, the scribes and Pharisees were upset because Jesus was eating with sinners. And Jesus includes that in his story. I'm going to have intimacy with you. We're going to share a table. Kill the best animal that we got. Cook that thing up. We're eating. We're dining. We're sharing intimate communion together. My son is home. He was dead and he is now alive. He was lost and he is now found. And they began to be merry. The boy repented and he came home. Did he blow it? Did he mess up? Was he in the dumps? Yes. Yes, he was. And anyone who is willing to admit that we have blown it and we are in the dumps and we've messed up can look to Jesus and quickly, just like that. And heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. More rejoicing than a woman who finds 10% of her income. More rejoicing than a guy who finds 1% of his sheep. Rejoicing that we cannot imagine. This party that's described in the prodigal son is created elements, you know, created food, a, 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 a cow and drink and merriment and rings and sandals, things that are man-made, animals, things that are created, representing a party in heaven that we can't even imagine. There's hope, there's hope. Repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ and there is literally a party waiting for you. There's a party that's already taking place and the Father is saying, come, be a part of it. Are you wearing stinky pig clothes? Come. There's a new, there's a new robe waiting you. But the older son, probably the point that Jesus is really trying to make, the older son comes in And he approaches the house and he hears music and dancing. I think it's interesting that Jesus says that he hears the music and the dancing and he doesn't actually go in and look for himself what's going on. He asks somebody else what's going on. And the the servant says, your brother has come home. Verse 28, but the brother became angry, which is compared to the grumbling of the Pharisees in verse 2. They were grumbling that Jesus was eating with sinners. And here the older brother is angry and not wanting to go in. So what does the father do? Again, he goes out. 
he goes out to the older brother and he pleads with him to come in. And the older brother, you know, reading this in a very like surface level kind of cursory way growing up, I always thought that, I always related to the younger brother. I was like, well, that's me, obviously. And the older brother is all the kids that have it together. They're, you know, they go to church, they don't smoke, they don't, they don't cuss, they don't chew, they don't hang with girls that do kind of thing. That's great. They're in the father's house. They've been with him forever. Awesome. Awesome. That's not me. Bummer. But it's actually quite the opposite. This is a warning to the older brother. It's a warning to the Pharisees. As bad as the younger brother may have gotten, he repented and he came to the father. But what does the older brother do? He gets angry. And he reveals his heart. I love this. He says, look. Verse 29, he says, look. You ever, have you ever snapped and be like, all right, that's it, look. You know, that's what's happening here. Look, Dad, for so many years I have been serving you, and never once have I neglected a command of yours, and yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, notice, notice that, but this son of yours, won't say his name, won't even say my brother, this son of yours he devoured all of your wealth with prostitutes and you have killed the fattened calf for him. You won't even give me a little goat and you kill the fattened calf for this, for this guy? This son of yours who squandered a third of your estate on prostitutes and revelry and Bacardi 151? Come on, man. <laughs> Friends, if, if that's your heart, this is, this, this is for you. This is a warning that Jesus is giving. He's talking to the Pharisees. You're, you're upset that I, that I eat with tax collectors and sinners. Well, notice that in verse 1, the tax collectors and the sinners came near him because they wanted to listen to him. They came to Jesus because they wanted to listen to him. And the Pharisees are standing back going, I cannot even believe it. Does he have any idea who these people are? Does he have any idea who we are? It's exactly what the older son does. I've earned this. I deserve this. He reveals that he doesn't love the Father. He doesn't want to have anything to do with the Father. He's obeying the rules until the Father's dead and out of the way so that he can get the stuff too. He's, just go, he's doing the same thing the younger brother did. He's just going about it in a different way. It's easier to point the finger at the guy drinking a 40 of, of old English behind a dumpster somewhere. And I only use that specific example not because I'm picking on people, but because I've done it. It's easy to point your finger at that guy. It's not as easy, it's not as obvious whenever somebody is a whitewashed dish, right? But Jesus said a whitewashed dish with death on the inside. The problem with the older brother is that he thinks he doesn't need grace. He thinks, I don't need mercy. I don't need the Father's love. I've earned it. I've, I've earned my keep. Never once have I neglected a command. Never once have I betrayed you. Never once have I spit in your face. And this son of yours, are you serious right now? Friends, if that's your heart, there is forgiveness, but you have to come to grips with that. Is that your heart? This is a warning to the Pharisees. It's a hard word because they think we don't need Jesus. We have us. We have our resume. We have our reputation. We have our list of things that we have done. We don't need the Father. We don't need you, Jesus. The older brother wants money, he wants recognition, he wants praise, he feels like this is owed to him, he deserves it. It's even wrong and improper to neglect him, those things. You never even made, you never even prepared for me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. 
the truth of that. It's true, as hard as that is, as, as stern of a warning as that is, the Father still comes out to him too. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus came to his own, that is the Jewish people, and his own did not receive him, but he came to him. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills its prophets, how I would have gathered you under my wings like a mother, like a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not come. This is a warning, and it's an invitation. The father goes out and says, if your sin is like the prodigal son, prodigal, by the way, means to to spend lavishly and foolishly, just taking currency and just <laughs> making it rain, brah. That's the prodigal son. But the same, the same sin can be committed going the opposite way, keeping it tight, keeping it buttoned up. I've earned it. I keep it. I don't, need to, I, don't need to, I don't need to cry. I don't need to keep a stiff upper lip. I do my job. I clock in. I clock out. I pay my taxes. I've earned it. Darn it. If that's you, listen to this. There's an invite. Jesus is inviting here. The father comes out. He says, my child, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brothers of yours was dead and is alive and he was lost and he is now found. And commentator after commentator after commentator has, has made note that the story abrupts sort of quickly, does it not? What, what happened? What, what happened with the older brother? And that's part of Jesus' genius, is that because it was, a, it was an invitation, he was saying to them, like, what's it going to be? And if the story and reality link up at all, then we know from the rest of Scripture that the older brother had murder in his heart, and he actually killed the father. Because that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They cried out for his blood. But even, even then, friends, as bad as the tax collectors and the sinners were, as bad as the prodigal son was, as bad as the older brother was, it gets even worse because the people that were Jesus' enemies, they put him on a cross and they killed him. And they thought that they had won. They were happy that he died. That's low. But lower than our sin, deeper than our sin, is the Father's grace and the Father's mercy. And we know from Acts chapter 2, after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, after his ascension back into heaven at the right hand of the Father, Peter went out and preached a famous sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he said, you guys, the, the, those same, the same exact people, he said, you put Jesus on a cross. And 3,000 of those people were saved that day. The point being, look, I don't care. If you're an older brother, if you're a younger brother, it don't matter. I don't care. The, the battle between the legalist and the libertine are, have, has gone on forever. Listen, come to Jesus. The invite is for both. Jesus is speaking to both. He so loves the world that he sent his son to pay the punishment of sin so that anyone who would believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. None of us are worthy. None of us can earn it. Don't think, don't get caught up in the idea that you can earn it. And if you've blown it, don't think that you're so gross and repulsive that you've disqualified yourself for heaven. You were never qualified for heaven. None of us are. And that's why the father says, your brother has come home. The older brother says, this son of yours. And the father reminds him, you're all brothers. You're brothers. I love you the boat. I love you the same. 
and you both are messed up. And God's grace is greater than our, than our most grievous sin. We have to remember that for others. Remember it for yourselves. Come to Jesus today. And if you think that you're too good or you think that you're too unrighteous, that's a lie from the devil. Fall on his mercy today. His mercy is that good. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Thank you for your teachings. Thank you for your patience and for your love. And I pray today for repentance. I pray, for de- I pray today for, for individuals to come to themselves, to be illuminated by the power of your spirit, to realize their error of their ways, not, not to rub it in, not to make them feel the burn, but so that they turn to you, so that they see how good you are and that you take us in our brokenness and that you... You heal us. You give us the robe. You give us the ring. You invite us into the family. And it, it will be a lifetime of, of all of the little ha- habits and, and misconceptions and misunderstandings to fall off and to be renewed and to be put back together and to be fixed. But Lord, salvation, it's quick. Quickly grab the robe, grab the sandals, grab the ring. Thank you for your immense grace, Father. Thank you for loving us, a broken, sad people. Thank you for reestablishing relationship with us through your Son, Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension. Lord, we pray for salvation this morning where you convict hearts to repentance and rejoice that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.